Hello and welcome to another episode of Substance on Substance. I'm Phil Graham, Global Head of the Investment Funds and Regulatory Team here at Harneys, joined by my friend in many senses, but when I'm looking at economic substance, the only person I would love to speak to on this subject, Josh Mongeau. Hi, everybody, and thanks, Phil. Now, why are we speaking here today, Josh? I was captivated by the recent article you sent around, a really good read, but what sort of inspired you to put that together? Yeah, I thought it'd be helpful to recap for listeners and and readers where we are in the compliance and reporting cycle in the BVI, because as listeners will know, the bulk of BVI companies incorporated before 2019 have just gone through, in theory, their first reporting cycle. And now we are looking ahead to the possibility of the regulator starting to launch investigations and and take enforcement action for, for companies that it thinks haven't complied. Just to recap why we're in this situation, the timetables that were set by the EU and the OECD were very tight as compared with similar types of international initiative. They weren't extended because of the COVID pandemic, as many people would hope they would be. And the law imports a lot of new, often civil law concepts or or economic concepts from the EU and the OECD scoping papers, which are completely new to BVI law. They're not common law concepts. And we have very many companies in the BVI. So with all of that in mind, we expect that there will be some people who've frankly struggled with this and may feel that they're a little bit behind the curve still. And we are now hearing rumours anecdotally that the first compliance notices and investigations are are coming out from the the ITAR. Regulator. So we thought it was a timely point to just regroup and give people a heads up on, on what they should be thinking about right now. I agree with that. I mean, I think there is a small irony here that the grand concept behind some of this substance legislation was to have more people on the ground here, to have directors flying in to make sensible board decisions, which was all predicated on airports being open and people being able to fly places. So to have not extended anything due to the pandemic feels unnecessarily challenging, but that is where we are. I think we'd also like to touch on this podcast that there is brand new hot off the press legislation coming through in the BVI in this this area as well. We'll try and touch on that at the end of this podcast. So do stay tuned. As I say, the article is out there for people to read. So we don't want to go into it to too much depth now, but we'll just summarize some of the main points that Josh raises. So for the people out there that are listening in, that still need to classify their company. What should they do, Josh? Yeah, thanks. And I would also preface this by saying, if you haven't read the article yet, there are going to be some potential changes to some of it based on the new legislation that was tabled last Friday at the time that we're recording this. So it's a case of watch this space. There are also some some legal changes coming through that we will update people on once we fully digested them. If you still need to classify your company, then the company potentially on its face has failed to identify relevant activities. Every company needs to think about whether it is doing any of these nine relevant activities and if it is which ones and then all of the compliance and reporting information flows from that but there was a requirement to file a a nil report uh, nil return even if the company is doing none of these failure to identify relevant activities without reasonable cause is a criminal offense the directors of the company and its office and senior managers in limited circumstances and i stress limited circumstances can also incur personal liability for that offence. And so if you haven't classified your company, then unfortunately, you are quite late to this unless you've just set it up. So we would recommend that you get in contact with us or or your usual legal advisors to talk through what that means. 
So hoping everyone out there has gone through the classification. It feels like we've bored everyone enough with that as a recommendation. It's still feasible that some people may not have actually done the report. They got to the end of the year for whatever reason, didn't get over the line. What if they're now in a position of wanting to report despite being past the deadline, Josh? Yeah, so as I said, every BVI company has to submit an ES economic substance report via its registered agent within six months from the end of the relevant financial period. And again, it's the same offence. If you fail to do that without reasonable cause, it's it's technically a criminal offence. So for the bulk of BVI companies, as we've said before, they were incorporated before 2019. So working through the timetable, they were supposed to have filed their reports effectively by the end of last year at the latest. Now, in practice, there are still going to be people out there who've come to this a bit late, who are struggling with, you know, really difficult marginal cases where for whatever reason they haven't filed those reports. The, the message from us is get in contact with the registered agent if you haven't already to get on top of this because the potential exposure for the offences I've mentioned is, is actually quite significant. So it's one where it's worth talking to your registered agent and speaking to your lawyers if you're at all unsure what you're supposed to be doing. There was a scurrilous rumour going around that, that potentially there was a bit of a number of months in which you could get away with filing it a little bit late. Any update on that? I think you described it well. There's nothing official from the regulator on that. I think it was just that a rumour. The other thing I would emphasise, as I said before, is, is nil returns are required. So even if you've determined your company had nothing to declare, you still need to let the registered agent know. And it's very simple. It's, it's effectively just a, a, a check the box at that stage. So you've classified, you have reported, but actually what you've reported is that you didn't actually comply. Now, there may be COVID reasons for that, very genuine COVID reasons or, or other reasons that things were delayed in, in any restructuring you might, uh, you might have been doing. What should you do in those kind of circumstances? So again, if you're at all uncertain about your compliance position, we do recommend that you get in contact with your legal advisors, your other advisors to think through what this means for your company. Just on the COVID pandemic, I would say that the ITA issued some guidance around the direction of management requirement for those entities that are subject to a direction of management requirement, effectively to say, look, we acknowledge that your directors can't travel to the BVI and it may not always be appropriate to appoint alternates or use professional directors in the BVI. So that was helpful. What that guidance doesn't do is address any of the other indicia of substance, things like employees or premises or, or the core income generating activities and where those are being carried on. So it's not, a, unfortunately, a magic bullet to solve your compliance issues, but it does offer some pointers around how to deal with the direction of management bit with borders being closed. Broadly, if you've managed to identify and report on relevant activities and you've submitted all the right information around that, it is a civil penalties regime, so not criminal, just administrative fines. There is also a spontaneous information exchange bit that underpins this, which I will come on to. Unless you are a high-risk IP legal entity, and if you are or you think you might be a high-risk IP legal entity or you think you're carrying on intellectual property business at all, we really recommend you speak to a lawyer if you haven't thought about that before because IP business is, is the most difficult category, as we've said. Unless you are high-risk IP or doing IP business, then the minimum fine at the moment is $5,000 to a maximum of $20,000. I say at the moment because there is, we think, a proposal to change those fines and penalties, as we'll come on to. Effectively, the ITA will have to issue a, a first notice of non-compliance. And effectively, if you don't become compliant within the time frame they set, then they can serve a second notice, at which point the potential fines and penalties increase quite significantly. And if they think that there's no chance that you'll ever comply with the ES requirements after the first notice, or you have kind of clear, deliberate breaches, then they can apply to court to liquidate the company. Liquidation, obviously, is an extreme sanction, and it's not something they will do lightly. And they've said that they will try to give consideration to interested creditors and third parties. 
The spontaneous information exchange part is quite complicated, but effectively, if the ITA determines that a company is non-compliant, then they are required to procure the disclosure of all the information which is held on the electronic BOSS database, which BBI registered agents maintain, with relevant overseas competent authorities. And those can include, for example, tax authorities for each jurisdiction in which a beneficial or a legal owner of the entity resides. And that is all the information which is on the BOSS system, which relates to both economic substance and beneficial ownership. If you want chapter and verse on this, it's in part 14 of the ITA rules, but we do recommend that this is something that people consider with their tax advisors if they think this could be relevant to them. I think the IP relevant activity is worth raising again. There are still people coming late to the day with that one. There is seemingly this understanding that the substance solutions can be put in place for IP relevant activity. Josh, your viewpoint on that? I've seen your eyebrows go in the air. What's your take? Yeah, in practical terms, if you are dealing with a an existing high-risk IP legal entity, then you can only prove that you are compliant if you can show historic substance. And that, in practical terms, means it's virtually impossible for high-risk IP to be compliant unless it is claiming a foreign tax status, which exempts it from the substance requirements altogether. So if you're high-risk IP, but you are a good taxpayer for these purposes and can show that, then you can still use BVI vehicles. If you are a new structure, you know we're very happy to talk to people about what substance would look like for them, but it is not easy. It's, it's not designed to be easy. It's very much in the focus of the EU and the OECD right now with everything that's going on around the digital economy. And so all I would say is don't assume that it's going to be simple. So as you say, we are aware that there are already sort of letters, correspondence going out from the ITA to registered agents in relation to non-compliance. That has started relatively early, but certainly the volume is, is increasing on a, on a daily basis. In relation to what information that the ITA could request from you, so rather than looking at non-compliance, but looking for sort of further information, what could they ask for? Yeah, so broadly, the company is obligated to give any information the ITA reasonably requires to assist it in doing its job. And they can also serve notice on any person, which is very broad, requiring them to provide such documents as information that they reasonably require. So they're very broad powers on their face. If you don't provide the information without reasonable excuse, or you intentionally provide false information, then that can take you into some significant criminal offences. Broadly speaking, the practical takeaway is it's worth using this as an opportunity to revisit your record-keeping arrangements and make sure that you've got a robust written record of what the company's been doing, how it classified itself, how it took steps to address compliance and deal with reporting, because the ITA powers are quite broad. One thing I would note is that if you have information which is subject to legal advice privilege, for example, then we don't think that that's something that the ITA could reasonably require. So if you do get one of these requests, they come to you, whether it's via your registered agent or potentially come to you directly as a director of, of a company, what should you do? I think if you're at all uncertain, this is one of those areas where it is worth taking advice because of the issues that we've talked about. That you know The law is quite new, it's complex, it's untested. There is potentially the threat, however real, of personal liability for the director's and there is potentially some, some work to be done in terms of the, either the initial classification analysis or the compliance analysis or taking steps to deal with any issues that have been identified. So, and then also dealing with the notice itself and, and making sure that you've dealt with it appropriately. So for all of those reasons, if you do get one of these notices, please do get in touch. 
Now, finally, we've teased this out already, but the fact that there is new legislation that is seemingly coming through this year. Now, we probably on this podcast won't go into particular depth, largely because it's still in its first reading. And so it is likely to be amended and changed and updated as it goes through the House. Do you want to give some very quick high level highlights that you've seen in that legislation as potentially something everyone should be looking out for? Yeah, sure. I would stress that this is something that we only just saw. So as Phil says, we're, we're still digesting it. And we assume this is a burst draft, you know, where there will be scope for comments and clarifications. The key takeaway points, I think, is that in line with EU requirements, all limited partnerships will be going into scope as legal entities for this purpose. At the moment, it's only limited partnerships with legal personality which are affected, but that is going to change. So if you have a limited partnership, you need to start thinking about what economic substance might mean for you. As I mentioned already, it looks like there is going to be a change to some of the fines and penalties. We'll give some more detail on that once we know what's happening. The other changes that we've seen are less exciting at this stage, but I would just stress watch this space because we could see some other changes coming down the track. Fantastic. Thank you ever so much and uh, look forward to touching base another time. Thanks so much and thanks everybody for listening.